Hello again, and welcome to the second episode of the Fat Feminist Witch Podcast. I am your host, Paige. Trust me, I am lovely. And before I get started today, I would like to thank everyone who listened to my first podcast and gave me lots of really great feedback. All feedback I got was really great, except for one piece of advice that I got from everyone, and which I totally agree with, which is my overuse of um and uh as I'm talking. These are placeholder words. I read somewhere online that using placeholder words like that while you're speaking is a sign of greater intelligence because you are waiting for your brain, which moves too fast to catch up with your mouth, which just can't keep up. I like to think that's true. <laughs> um, but in either case, I will try to minimize that one uh, this time. So I really hope I don't do it as much. And if I do, I'll just do a better job editing it out. <laughs> uh, so today, what I want to talk about is travel. Witchy and pagan travel, specifically. As I said in my introduction, I went to school for tourism. Travel is just something that, that's been a passion of mine for a really long time. Perhaps as long as witchcraft and paganism has. And specifically, I want to talk about witchy and pagan pilgrimage travel. So this is this is a theme that I'd like to carry on in the future that I'd like to bring up over and over in kind of a series of, of podcast episodes. I'm going to talk about trips that I've taken that are pagan and witchy pilgrimages or where you can go or, or different things like that. So my pagan pilgrimage that I made this year is one that I've been looking forward to doing for quite some time. Um, and especially in North America, this is one of the biggest witchy trips that you could possibly take, which is to Salem, Massachusetts. Now, Salem, Massachusetts was the site of the infamous Salem Witch Trials in 1692, where no actual witches were all hung or either crushed to death for the crime of practicing witchcraft in a puritanically Christian small society. And since that time, witchcraft has been kind of synonymous with Salem in a variety of ways. You know, it's everything from A Season of Bewitched was filmed there, and now there is an Elizabeth Montgomery statue in the middle of a square to, to the first ever witchcraft store that was opened up in the U.S. by Lori Cabot, uh, the official witch of Salem, which is Crowhaven Corner, which is still there. So it's got some, some legitimate witchcraft going on in Salem and then some not-so-legitimate witchcraft that is still a lot of fun and is still a part of witchcraft's history. You can't just deny that pop culture aspect to witchcraft because which, without it, witchcraft might not be as popular as it is today. So before I go into Salem, let's talk about some other places that you can go if you want to make a pilgrimage, especially for those who don't live in North America. I think one of the most popular places for a lot of people who are seeking out some really authentic old witchcraft um, is England. And England is, is popular for a variety of reasons. Witchcraft has been popular in England forever. And if you are a practitioner of Wicca, which is the most popular pagan religion, that was invented in England. And it was invented based on the fact that witchcraft was purportedly practiced in England for a very long time. See, you have a lot of historical sites in England. The most famous, I think, would be Stonehenge. Almost everyone knows what Stonehenge is. They recognize that stone circle. And this is, this is a Neolithic monument that's been around since before recorded history. So no one knows exactly who built it 
or why. There's tons of amazing theories out there, all of which I highly recommend looking into. And now it's used by English pagans and pagans all over the place as a, as a site of pilgrimage. Every year at the summer solstice, there is a summer solstice festival at Stonehenge, which looks huge and insane. Uh, it's definitely on my, my witchy travel bucket list. And it's also used for lots of rituals. Um, there's lots of druids in England, neo-druids. I want to clarify, druidry was wiped out. These are people who've taken inspiration from all of the, the myths, legends, and little bit of known history about druids and formed a, a spiritual path. And they will do ceremonies and rituals at Stonehenge, which is quite interesting to see photos of. So that's one of the more popular pagan destinations in the world, I think. Um, and England has various ones scattered around. In Glastonbury, you have the Tor, the Mountain, the Chalice Well, and the White Spring, all of which are associated with Christianity and paganism. The Arthurian legends of King Arthur and, and Queen Guinevere and Lancelot and all of that. That, w that took place in England, obviously. That's where Camelot supposedly was. And the bodies of King Arthur and Guinevere were rumored to have been found there centuries ago now because they were buried there at the, the Glastonbury Abbey. The Abbey is in ruins, of course, but they're, they're beautiful, beautiful historical ruins. Up on the tour, you have a, a ruined church steeple, which, it, which again is gorgeous. You have the Chalice Well, which is a site that is kind of unique in, in, the, in terms of pagan pilgrimage because it's a site that's popular with Christians and with pagans. It, it contains a lot of history and lore about the, the Holy Grail. But the water that runs through it, that runs red, supposedly runs through the Isle of Avalon, which is kind of a magical place that exists, but not in our real physical world, but in, in a space between, between time and between worlds, a magical place that was the home of witches, including Morgan Le Fay, witches and wizards. In Marion Zimmer Bradley's Miss of Avalon series, she, she theorizes that Morgan Le Fay and Merlin and, and other famous witches and wizards all came from the Isle of Avalon, and this is where they learned magic. And so this water that flows through Glastonbury and the area around it is supposedly flowing straight through Avalon and contains the energy of both worlds. So that is a really cool pilgrimage site, and again, one that's definitely on my bucket list. For other North American witches or magic practitioners, the second, I think, most popular site in North America would be New Orleans. Now, the magical tradition that's most popular in New Orleans is, of course, voodoo. New Orleans has its own brand of voodoo called New Orleans voodoo that is practiced in New Orleans and was made popular there. And the things you can do in New Orleans are so interesting and they're so different from what you would see in England or New England here in North America that it's such a different idea, it's such a different energy, a different vibe, a different set of history. And, and the one thing most people do that's the most magical, I think, is visiting the tomb of Marie Laveau. Marie Laveau was supposedly the witch queen of New Orleans. She was, she was everybody's favorite voodoo practitioner. She also popularized the idea of voodoo practitioners being baptized as Catholic. 
for those who don't know a lot of history about voodoo, which I will get into a little bit later, um, voodoo was brought over from slaves that were that were originally from Africa through the Caribbean islands, especially places like Haiti, and then up to New Orleans. And during the time of slavery, among other horrific things, practicing their indigenous religion, their real religion, their real spirituality, their folk magic, all of that was not allowed. You could get killed for doing something like that. So to hide the fact that they were still praying to their gods and, and doing what they do, slaves would assign their their gods with saints that the, the Christian uh, awful people were familiar with so that they could they could talk about their gods and their saints and they could pray without it being suspect. And so many, many saints and gods kind of correspond in voodoo, and you'll hear them talked about interchangeably. So it was only natural for, you know, a century later for Marie Laveau to say, let's all get baptized, to know everything about your saints, and, and learn about and practice the voodoo along with your learning and practicing your, your Catholicism. So Marie Laveau was the voodoo queen of New Orleans, <laughs> as, as the song goes by Redbone, which I highly recommend. And many people will go to New Orleans. They will visit her grave. They will write three X's on the grave, or they will knock three times. And supposedly Marie Laveau will, will come to you later. And um, I don't want to say grant you wishes, because that, that sounds wrong, but she will come to you later and, uh, and offer to help with whatever you need. And, and that's not the only site in New Orleans that is that is interesting for witches. There's lots to do with voodoo. It's an entire tourism industry out there. Especially, it's a large tourism industry, and then there's the more underground and authentic stuff, which is a subject that I'm going to talk about in relation to Salem, because there's also a very big, flashy tourist industry of witchcraft in Salem, and then kind of the underground authentic stuff. So outside of Europe and, and North America, I don't think people really think about witchcraft or magic in other parts of the world, which is insane because other parts of the world are so, so much older. Uh, a really great example of something like that is Egypt. So for Kemetic witches, witches who, who follow uh, an Egyptian, the Egyptian pantheon, Egyptian gods and goddesses, the this ancient Egyptian way of practicing magic, visiting Egypt is is insane. I mean, you get to go to the pyramids, you get to see hieroglyphics, you get to walk along the banks of the Nile. This this is a truly magical place and truly, truly ancient. It is so old. And I I can't stress enough how much older Egypt is than the, these other places that I've spoken about. And that might seem kind of, that might seem kind of an obvious place, um, but it's also a very real place. It's something with with a lot of really tangible things that tie you to the past. Lots of real artifacts, lots of real sites that you can visit. And it's just, it's a mind-blowing experience, especially for someone who worships these gods in a way that seems almost, that makes them seem almost, almost unreal because they're so far removed from themselves. So Egypt is another cool place. And then there's a lot of magic all over the world that's just not called witchcraft. I am a big fan of South Pacific cultures. 
so in Hawaii, you have lots of gods and goddesses that are beautiful and, and an indigenous kind of folk magic system out there. And in other parts of the South Pacific, you have relics and remnants of this magical belief system that was there before white people ever set foot on those islands. Easter Island, I think, is a really great example where you have the the large stone heads. Uh, they're called the Moai. But you have the Moai there that are remnants of a religion that is so old that it's not in recorded history. No one really knows what they were all about, although they're finding out more and more all the time. Lots of theories, lots of great stories. And there are still lots of indigenous Rapa Nui people. Rapa Nui is the original name for the island. There are lots of indigenous Rapa Nui people there who are exploring their roots and their connection to their ancestors and their ancient gods and their ancient language, which is just absolutely beautiful. And it's one of those places that we know so little about that going there and really truly exploring and experiencing that level of energy and magic uh, to me sounds like the most mind-blowing experience you could ever have. That's my main that's the number one on my travel bucket list. So as I said, I went to Salem, Massachusetts this October. And the one thing I can say about visiting Salem, especially if you're looking for some authentic witchcraft, is don't go in October. Don't ever go in October. In my head, I imagine seeing some legitimate witchcraft stuff, having some fun with some cheesy Halloween stuff, eating at some fun cheesy restaurants. Uh, there was There's a werewolf-themed Mexican place, which is just all the things I love that I really wanted to visit. And I wanted to take myself on a little self-guided walking tour of all of the filming locations of Hocus Pocus. You know, I was going for a witchcraft and Halloween-themed vacation. And I was warned ahead of time that this was peak season in Salem and that I might not enjoy myself. That is very touristy. I laughed at this. I said, if I'm going to Salem, I have to go in October. I was wrong. <laughs> Um, my search for legitimate witchcraft in Salem did not go so well, strictly because it was October. Luckily, I could, I could kind of tell that if I came back any other time of the year, it would be a little bit different. And since then, on the internet, other witches that live in Salem say, oh my goodness, please come back another time. I, apparently, most of them do their own Halloween or Samhain or Day of the Dead or Hallow's Eve or whatever celebrations in, in November once the crowds have gone, and I mean like a week or two into November. So it's definitely a place I have to go back. Like I said, I had some trouble finding legitimate witchcraft when I was there, and most of the place just didn't feel, it just didn't feel witchy. And it should have, and I look at the pictures that I took, and I think, wow, that is the witchiest thing I have ever seen. But when I was there, it just didn't feel like it. I visited the second oldest uh, graveyard in, definitely in the United States. So it's the second oldest, with the oldest actually being in Boston. But it's the second oldest, and it's so old that one of the original passengers that came over on the Mayflower is buried there in Salem. Some of these gravestones are hundreds and hundreds of years old. But there's kids running around, and families all over the place. A kid was playing leapfrog over these hundreds and hundreds of year old gravestones and I just wasn't feeling it, but it, it really was very interesting. Nearby was the 
memorial to the victims of the Salem Witch Trial. No one actually knows where these people were buried, unfortunately. I think one of them, I think they know, but no one else. So what they've done is they've erected this memorial and they have would look like benches. They're, they're, it's a stone wall that forms a courtyard and there are stones sticking out. And there's a stone for every every person who died as a result of these these witch trials. And it was really interesting because they all have their name and, and their, their lifespan uh, etched into the rock. And then people will leave things there. So people will leave little things like food or flowers. One that really choked me up super bad was the stone of Giles Corey. Giles Corey is one of the... This sounds... This sounds kind of callous, but he's one of the more interesting stories from the Salem witch trials. He refused to testify, absolutely refused to say anything. He refused to say if he was guilty or he was innocent. He refused to beg for his life, and they crushed him to death. They tortured him. They piled heavy rocks onto him over a matter of, I think, two days. And I believe he was in his 70s when this happened, so he wasn't young. But they piled rocks onto him over a period of a couple days trying to get him to speak, and he refused. And he he eventually died, of course. But when I got to the stone that I had Giles Corey's name, I found a little bouquet of flowers. And attached to the bouquet was a little note from descendants of Giles Corey that said they were sorry about what had happened and that they visit him all the time and that they just want him to know that the family's still going, and they're okay, and their life is great. Oh, you can hear I'm kind of a crier. So that was that was actually a really amazing experience. But a few minutes later, I, I mean, I, as I was going, I was trying to take a picture of each one of these stones, of these, these people that were killed. And like I said, they're built sort of like benches. And I believe people sit on them all the time. I'm sure they do. But I got to one bench, and there was a person sitting on it, a tourist, not a local. And I asked if they could if they could move for a second so I could just take a picture of the stone underneath. And I got a, ugh, are you kidding? They're not even buried here. It's not a big deal. I found that to be super disrespectful and pretty disappointing. I put on my mean face and told them to move the rass, and of course she did. Thankfully, I would have freaked. But... You know, you get stuff like that. Tourists don't quite take the gravity of the situation so seriously. Now, outside of outside of the the Salem witch trials history, you have modern witches who live in Salem. Vori Cabot is the official witch of Salem. She is probably the most famous uh, North American witch, outside of some of those who maybe wrote books in the nineties. I think you know who I'm talking about. But <laughs> she's probably our most famous North American witch. Lori is, is I believe, in her 60s now. She still lives in Salem. Lori Cabot's been seen all over Salem. She operates an online store. She does online classes. She's still very active, still very, very witchy. And her original store that she opened up is called Crowhaven Corner. I believe it's actually the, the second location, but it was the main location that she was at the longest. And Crowhaven Corner is still there, though it's owned by someone new. And I was very excited to go. I had to go. I was so, so excited. So for my first walking tour, I signed up for the witch walk with Crowhaven Corner. I thought this is going to be the witchiest thing I've ever seen or done in my entire life. 
The witch walk was not the witchiest thing I've ever seen or done in my entire life. I think maybe for beginners to witchcraft or people who don't actually practice witchcraft, it might be a little bit better. We did a small Wiccan ceremony before we started, which was was very textbook Wiccan, which is not bad. It's just not, for me, it's something I've done a million times. But it was cool. And then we started on our walk. The thing about the witch walk is that you don't, actually see anything. More than one time we were taken to a place and told what used to stand here is. So now you're kind of standing out in the middle of nowhere. The two opportunities we would have had to see something, one would be the statue of Elizabeth Montgomery, which was still great, obviously, and another would be where a, jail, a jailhouse, unfortunately we, we didn't get close enough because there were other tours nearby, which... I mean, so what? <laughs> Take me over there. But it was more of a talk about contemporary witchcraft and why Salem is, is why Salem and witchcraft are so synonymous, which is something I feel like you can get on Google. The tour guide was nice and he was entertaining. The walk was nice. It's a nice walk. Salem's beautiful. But the most interesting thing that I saw on the walk was kind of an advertisement um, the person who owns Crowhaven Corner is a business partner with someone who owns two other stores in Salem. And as far as the commercial witchcraft stores in Salem go, these two, I think, are, are one of the more interesting ones. There, There's two. One is called Omen and one is called Hex. Omen is a store that caters to light magic, light witchcraft. So everything in there is bright and colorful and happy. They have a public altar there that you can go to to pray for healing. Hex is sort of the opposite, where it explores kind of the darker side of magic. So this is the place where you can get voodoo or hoodoo items, and you can learn about, about witchcraft that's not so much, you know, love and light. And they have a public altar where you can send off messages to spirits or the dead that have passed away, pray for the dead, things like that. And I thought that was a really interesting concept, but that's not really a site in Salem. This is an advertisement. I know you're in cahoots with these people. I paid for a tour and you're taking me to stores that you own. That was a little upsetting, though again, I do think those stores are really interesting. While I was waiting for the witch walk to begin, I decided to go into Crowhaven Corner. I had to stand in line to get into the store. And then when I went in, I've never been, I've never experienced disappointment like I did when I went into the first ever witchcraft store that opened up in the United States and what I found was the same mass-produced pagan items that I find at almost every other witchcraft store or even new age store that I've been to. Now there's nothing wrong with this stuff. The stores that make it are great you can order amazing stuff from their retail site. They wholesale to stores all over the place. But that's kind of the problem. And I wanted to buy something from this store. You know, I wanted to have something from Crowhaven Corner. So I was looking at some of the stuff that's packaged there. And I'm like, this is going to be really unique. And I pick up this incense. And it's just called Lunar Incense to help increase psychic abilities. And I was like, well, that's really, that's really witchy. You know, you've got a crescent moon on here and psychic abilities and there's glitter in there. It's amazing. But this is kind of a, like a, a powder. 
with plastic glitter in it, I don't know what to do with this. So I ask one of the salespeople who's dressed as kind of like a stereotypical witch in a Halloween costume, which is fine. I love myself some witchy cliches. But but you've got to have the knowledge to back it up. And, and she didn't really know what was in it. She didn't know what to do with it. She told me I could burn it as incense, which I don't think is legit since it's got plastic glitter in it. She didn't really know what it was or what it smelled like or what it did. And I was pretty disappointed in that. When I looked at the book section, it was full of books that I know are not very legitimate. They're they're beginner's books that were released in the 90s when witchcraft was trendy. And that's not, that's not necessarily bad. You find those books everywhere, but I expected a little bit better. I think the problem is that I expected to find something really unique, something really different, and something really truly magical, and that's just not what I found. What I found is, is the same mass-produced stuff I find everywhere. And that was really disappointing for me. And that was kind of a wake-up call about witchcraft stores and their marketing in general. In my intro, I, I talked about how I used to work at a metaphysical store and things went bad. They went bad just before I went to Salem. My last day was two days before I left. And when I got to Salem and I went into Crowhaven Corner, I found all the same stuff that my boss at that metaphysical store had been selling. And she didn't know anything about what she was selling either. And it made me, it, it made me realize that money... Money doesn't always buy witchcraft, if you know what I mean. You can't really buy magic with money. Not that everything has to be homemade, but I feel like balance is really important there. And with witchcraft, I just, I just expect people to know what they're selling me. I expect them to really know what they're selling me. So that, that was a bit of a disappointment. Luckily, on this same day, I was walking down Essex Street with a new friend that I had met in line for the witch house and I peeked into a doorway and in this doorway I saw bunches of herbs hanging from the ceiling and I could smell incense coming out at me. I made a beeline. This place was called the Coven's Cottage. It's on Essex Street. The Coven's Cottage, I can say with almost absolute certainty, is the best witchcraft store you're going to find in Salem. I blew so much money and I hadn't really spent anything up until then. Coven's Cottage was the most legitimate witchcraft store that I have ever seen in my life. There are bunches of herbs hanging all over the place. There are books of shadows that they make themselves. The jewelry is all locally made in Salem. The herbs they've gathered themselves. And I found things like vervain and mandrake root and motherwort, which is stuff you just, you just don't find where I live very easily. It's something you, you order online and just hope is legit. There was no way nothing in there was legit. I, I could really, truly trust these people. I went into that store three times. I got a reading. I bought some things. I talked to them forever. And they were, they were the most knowledgeable and friendly people I've ever met. They really made me feel at home in Salem. Every question I had, they answered right away. They knew everything. And I, I felt a little bit better. And this was different because you don't find the same mass-produced stuff you found everywhere. I mean, they have crystals, and there's only so much you can do with crystals. You have to order them from a crystal supplier. And they had books that you order from publishers like Llewellyn. But they, 
but most of the stuff in there was stuff that they had gathered or made or grown themselves. It was all very truly Salem stuff. This was real Salem witchcraft. And I'm holding it all right now in my hands and the energy coming off of it is very truly witchy. Witchy and very Salem. So there is legitimate witchcraft in Salem, but finding it through the, the hordes and hordes and hordes of people, through the less authentic and more marketable witchcraft, um, through the Halloween-type tourism, it's very difficult. Especially when you're traveling alone and silly stuff like haunted houses, which are normally quite fun, just aren't the same when you're by yourself. It's no fun, you know, getting so scared you pee your pants if no one's there to make fun of you for it. So if you are going to go to Salem and you are going to make yourself a witchy pilgrimage, I don't recommend going in October at all. Now, I could talk for hours and hours about my trip to Salem. I don't have time to do that in a podcast. I think you'd fall asleep. What I'm going to do is I'm going to post it on my Facebook page. I'm going to post some pictures, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. And you can find my Facebook page. It's the Fat Feminist Witch's Broom Closet. But the Fat Feminist Witch's Broom Closet on Facebook, I will upload photos, and I will talk a little bit more about my trip to Salem and the things I saw and the things I brought home. If you are interested... I will be going back to Salem, so hopefully I will be making another podcast episode about about a trip. So that's what I have today about pagan travel, pagan pilgrimage, witchy places to visit. And like I said, this is a subject I'm going to revisit over and over. As I take more trips, I think witchy travel is something I'm going to do a little bit more of in the coming years. As I take more trips, I will continue to talk about this and research this and tell you about this. If you have any questions about it, Again, you can contact me on Facebook. If you want to talk to me on Twitter, I am at Fat Feminist Witch. So you can find me on Twitter, on Facebook. I will have a website soon, I promise. I just have to make it first. And uh, yeah, tell me about any witchy or pagan trips that you've ever taken. Maybe it was just to a local pagan Pride Day celebration. I love to hear about that. I've only ever been to two. Tell me all about it. On my next episode, I will be diving right in to a more political topic that some of you may like and some may not. I'm going to be talking about cannabis. So, witchcraft, weed, and women. Weed is one of the finest, the fastest growing industries for women to enter in North America right now. In the realm of witchcraft, Many ritual or circle or coven leaders will require you to come to their circle sober. This is obviously not something that's been happening forever. This has not always been the norm. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how it got that way, why it's like that, and why people request you be sober, not under the influence of drugs or alcohol when you come into a circle, and then how weed, witchcraft, and the realm of women entering both of these these industries all come together. So I really hope you stick around for that. Thanks again for listening to the Fat Feminist Witch podcast. I am the Fat Feminist Witch, and I'm going to head back into my broom closet now.